Welcome to episode 118 of the Chinese Jealous Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with Helena Price. She's a photographer and she's launching a thing today, which we will talk about shortly. Spoiler alert. Before we get into the episode, two things. First, uh, we're doing our first live event in San Francisco on April 15th. Unfortunately, we hit capacity within like five hours. But we're working on a solution to that. Uh, We know that we can get in a certain number of people. It ended up being 150 right off the bat uh, because that's what we got approved for by their committee. But that's a number we submitted. We're going to see if we can fit more in so that we're going to put the link in the show notes. And if we get more room, we'll definitely open it up. Yep. So that's going to be at GitHub HQ on April 15th. If we don't end up getting more capacity, uh, this is just an announcement to say that we're going to do more live events here yeah. in San Francisco, Bay Area. So if you're around, follow us on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. We'll be keeping everyone posted on events. So we're super excited. And if you are on the list, we can't wait to see you on April 15th. Okay. Second, two sponsors we want to thank for making this episode possible. First up. As you well know, Dropbox is the simplest way to work the way you want. They just redid like their whole brand to be that. And that's awesome. We talk about it all the time in very like low-key terms because they gave us an ad read. But they let you use whatever tool you want with their tool, which no one else does. I get that it's just a file system thing, theoretically, but man, that is so powerful. Yeah, it lets you work with all of your files anywhere on all of your devices with anyone like it doesn't get much more powerful and flexible than that it syncs all of your files across all of your devices it's really easy to share it with your design team with non-designers getting feedback on projects you're working on syncing and sharing large files right in the browser or from your file system it's super fast super easy to use uh we use it for everything here at spec use it at work love it 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 makes our whole process possible process possible sounded funny possible it makes things possible but it it makes sense from just the standpoint of keeping everything safe if you lose one of your devices your files are not gone forever if your computer explodes in a fire everything's still safe and when Uh, you're on a team or in like the pack rat setting you get unlimited version control built into it which is just the greatest so like saves all your previous versions that has saved my ass so many times so many of these episodes have come out because that was there. <laughs> like episode four, I think like episode 18, like episode 40. We, we ran into a lot of these issues where we had failed to communicate as a team. And so I lost something. <laughs> but Dropbox saved our ass over and over and over again. We can't recommend them enough. And we are so thankful to have them as a sponsor. To learn more, go to dropbox.com, sign up. You should be using it. Uh, it's Check it a out. no-brainer. Get started. It's super dope. And if you look at the team's page, the like how to use thing was made by Wayno, who are just, oh my God, it's such a great piece of work. Second is our newest sponsor, Etsy. We are huge fans of Etsy. We got to do our first ever live event with them. That was their pitch. Like they have been super supportive of us. And it's been amazing. And they're hiring. They're looking for product designers at their office in New York, in Brooklyn, gorgeous office uh, that we got to check out last November with some of the most ridiculously nice, talented, smart, fun, creative people we've the, ever seen. The people we met or hang out, hung out with on that trip have become some of our closest friends. Like their team is exceptional and they care so much about the process and the product and how things work. They're a great team to go work for and learn from. They're super smart, super nice, talented designers who love to have fun, which we can personally vouch for (laughs) uh and if you work there 
they have a really, really fancy tech bus that'll take you to work every day. Uh, it's called the New York City subway system, which is really fun. I hear that's technically advanced. Yes. Technologically advanced? Yes. So ride that to work every day in New York and have impact. It's not a huge team, but it's a product that impacts millions of users, people that have their entire livelihood on Etsy. That is a really fun and challenging place to be as a designer. To learn more, go to etsy.com slash careers. You can learn more about working at Etsy. And of course, tell them we sent you. And with that, let's get into episode 118 with Helena Price. Uh, my name is Helena Price, and I'm a photographer. I'm based in San Francisco. I've lived here about seven years with a little stint in New York in between. I'm originally from a tiny town in North Carolina. Um, I've been taking pictures since I was six, but I had no idea that I would ever do it for a living, and now I'm doing it for a living. All right, so we have no more questions. You covered everything, so we're out. Uh, cool. Good episode. Thanks. Anything you want to plug before we go? <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to my homies. I Classic, think- my homies. I think we should start at the obvious place. So today is going to be Monday, April the 4th. And this is a special day for you. We have time traveled. We have time traveled. Four days into the future, five days into the future. So that's amazing. Tell us a little bit about what's happened today in the future on April 4th. Today, I'm going to take a nap Ah, because future present. I just launched the biggest project I've ever done in my life called Techies. It's a photo project. Tell us a little more. What is it? So I've never really done a personal project in my life. Uh, mostly, Would you call this a passion project? I'm definitely passionate about it. Okay, that's a good start. <laughs> and, it, and it is a project. It is a project too. Um, yeah, I've, you know, I've only been shooting photos for a living for almost three years now. And most of that time has been frantically figuring out how to build a photo business and taking photos for work. And then otherwise just kind of carrying my camera everywhere with me and shooting photos of my friends or when I travel, but I've never done any sort of conceptual work. Um, Can I do a quick tangent? Yeah. What kind of photo or what kind of camera do you carry around? Mark three. Okay. Like a brick. I just keep it in a big purse and carry it around with me. And my nice. left shoulder is like way more muscly Super than my right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. No, you're fine. Um, so, yeah, I, for the first time kind of in my life, I have a little bit of free time here and there, and I'm not super broke anymore. And so I could take on a personal project without worrying about dying or being homeless. And That's a good feeling. It's a great feeling. And so in December, uh, like three months ago, I had an idea for a project, even though it's kind of been brewing in me for a long time and just kind of decided to do it. And was then, this Was the tweet the start of it? Um, I guess so. I mean, so I remember seeing the tweet. Yeah, the tweet. The tweet, the tweet happened. The tweet. I tweeted about it. I had the idea in the, sh- in the show notes in December, and I pretty much immediately wrote a medium post in like forty-five minutes, like as, super fast, as you do. Yeah, and I sat on it for a minute, and I showed it to a couple of people, one of them, Stuart Scott Curran, on like New Year's Eve, a big group of us were hanging out. Love and Stuart. I was like, Stu, I need to show you something because I'm scared. And Stu's like the right person to ask on this kind of project. Yeah. 
Well, he's super passionate about this stuff too. Hell yeah. And so I like showed him the medium draft and I was like, I'm really scared to publish this. Like I'm scared to do this project. Um, what like, are people even going to care? Is this stupid? Is no one going to share it? And he's like, you got to do this. This mm-hmm. is important. This is a great idea. You're the person who should do this and you have to post this. So then I waited like five more days and then I posted it and tweeted it. And I was hoping like maybe, maybe a hundred people will sign up. I hope a hundred people sign up and I don't have to go and recruit on my own. And then 500 people applied in two weeks. We actually haven't said what it is. Oh, right. So I was sitting in my house in December and I've been wanting to do a project on the tech industry for a long time. I've also been really into the idea of doing work that combines kind of oral histories and origin stories with photography. On the tech industry is an interesting like perspective instead of in the tech industry. Yeah. That's a really interesting it's on note. it, yeah. On it. And so kind of just it all came together in my head immediately one morning like I want to do just kind of an oral history of tech like I want to do a hundred long form interviews on people in tech a hundred why 100 wow why not I want to do one per week um I love sprints so I kind of just wanted to to crank a big thing out and a hundred was interesting to me because the tech industry is so focused on percentages right now in terms of quantitative data. Oh, yes. Ooh. That is a great point. That's awesome. And so I felt like it had to be 100 that's, because it was this funny play on like, oh, cool, like you that's posted brilliant. your numbers. I love that. Good for you. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted to do 100 just to, to kind of play on that relationship between- so you did these in two months. Yeah, I did. It took us a year to get 100. Like and and we feel like exhausted about that. That's amazing. Like, I don't recommend trying to do this in three months. <laughs> I knew I knew that I probably wouldn't do it unless I did it in three months. Um, I'm very much a person who can't move slowly on stuff, and yeah. I will change my mind and go into a different direction before I finish something. Totally. So not only did I need to do it in three months, I needed to publicly commit to doing it in three months the day that I announced it, which I did, um, or else I I don't think I would have done it. So I I don't want to redirect too much, but this week I launched a, a project of my own and on another one of our podcasts, I announced that it was already done <laughs> for the day I wanted it to come out. You got to do that. Yeah, I love oh, that. The it was self, impossible. Self-pressure is really motivating. Public shaming is motivating. Yeah. Well, uh, constraints are wonderful. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Boundaries are the best. Yeah. Especially when you're your own boss and there's no one forcing you to do anything. Really, the only way that I can force myself to do stuff is to set constraints for myself. And the way that I can get myself to stop overthinking stuff is just to set constraints. So that's what I did. Constraints sound negative at face value, but they're so empowering. They're freeing. They're the best. Honestly, you just stop thinking about it once you set constraints. Yeah. You have have some answers and that's great. Yeah. Yeah. I think I forgot to explain what the project is. So <laughs> we'll, we'll get it, to that at some point. <laughs> <laughs> People are on the edge of their chairs right now. Uh, the the short version is I did a hundred interviews of people in tech, but I focused on underrepresented people in tech, which includes women, people of color, LGBT, over fifty, disabled, parents, um, so kind of does, a hodgepodge. What does focused on mean? Is it entirely those people? Yes. Dope. Yeah. Um, why why was that on your mind? What was happening in for you in December three months ago? 
Well, I keep an eye on tech. You know, I used to work in tech. I love tech. Uh, and I feel I, I've i always kept tabs on what's going on, whether it's like maybe five years ago, that meant reading TechCrunch every morning to see what was cool. And now it's more like <laughs> keeping up on Twitter with journalists <laughs> and, you know, just people in the industry and yeah. just trying to keep a tab on, on this kind of organism that is tech culture. And... We're in a weird time right now. Like, a strange so organism weird. it is. Yeah. So I mean, right now, people on the outside kind of hate tech. I called it techies because it's turned into this derogatory term. Totally. You know what I mean? Like, we used to call ourselves techies and it was like a proud thing. And now we're, most people are kind of ashamed of that. Especially here in the city. When I moved here two years ago, like, there was graffiti everywhere. Like, die techies come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. So, you know, and stereotypes you know, definitely are there for a reason, but for the outside to assume that it's just a bunch of like, you know, 25 year old white money hungry dudes coming here for the gold rush. Like, yes, they're there, but not everybody's like that. There's a lot of people that come from all over the place and they may come from poverty. They may come from other countries. They may come from just wildly different situations Mm -hmm. and they're here because they work their ass off and they are really passionate about tech and there's something here about the work that really activates them and their motives are pure there's a lot of people in tech with really really good intentions and work their butt off to get here and they work their butt off to stay and it's not easy to stay and so that narrative doesn't get told very much and as someone who used to work on the media side of things in tech you know i'm really you know cognizant of the media landscape and those stories aren't in the news most of the time it's like hero narratives of you know (laughs) the same execs over and over and over again totally um and so i was just like you know i think there are some other interesting stories that might be told and i gotta go find them and so you you published your article asking for people to come forward and tell their stories yeah so i did a call for submissions um i just created a google form where people could apply to be part of the project and so within two weeks i had 500 people apply which was way more than i expected how did that happen by the way well i asked the internet to share it with as far as it could go away from me dear internet basically (laughs) because for me i knew that the project if it only stayed within my networks, it would only be so successful. Mm-hmm. And it needed to get way, way, way away from me for me to get to people that I haven't had a chance to collide with in real life. Totally. There's an astounding amount of techies that I've never met in my life. And they Tech come from isn't all over just the here place. Either. Yeah. Totally. Wait, so how did you do that? How did you get outside of your network? Um, I just asked people to retweet it. Okay. Yeah. And people did. It seemed to resonate with people. And it, I mean, it, there are hundreds and hundreds of people that applied to that project that I've never met in my life, which was awesome um, and really a nice surprise. So how did you get it from 500 to 100? And that was just in a couple week period. Like I spent time's ticking, like hundreds of hours reading through the applications over and over and over. I had people answer, do short answers to questions like what is a short bio what are some of your proudest moments in tech? Because I wanted to cover the positives as well and what people are really proud of. What are your biggest struggles in tech? Um, what are some miscellaneous topics that you'd like to discuss? And so I just read through, I read through 500. 
I whittled it down to 270. Then I read through it all again, <laughs> whittled it down to like 200, read through it again and again and again and again and again, and eventually got it down to 100. Uh, what were you looking for? In general, I was looking for people who came from unique backgrounds. Unique is such a you know empty word, but um, people that just came from backgrounds that are different from what you'd expect in tech. Um, maybe they came from poverty. Maybe they, you know, came from somewhere else in the world. Maybe just like something stuck out to me about their backgrounds. Um, they faced a number of obstacles to get here. They still go through struggles here, but at the same time, on the positive side, they're here because they're great at what they do or they're super passionate about the work. Um, I didn't want it to be a takedown of the industry. I didn't want it to skew super negative. Um, I wanted to show both sides of it because I think for most people, their relationship with tech is really complicated. Like I know mine is really complicated. And so I didn't want it to skew any particular direction. I wanted to explore both the good and the bad. Well, that's my next question then is, what do you want out of this project? What's success for you? Besides, I mean, all the work what's you put into it and project? getting it launched. But yeah, what is, what's success for you? I had kind of three main goals, and they're not measurable in any way. For me, I wanted to show the world outside of tech that tech is... I just wanted to show them a different picture of tech. On the inside, I wanted people in tech who believe that tech is a true meritocracy to understand that it's a little more complicated than that, and that there are people that have gone through a lot of shit to get here, and they still go through a lot of shit. And we should maybe have more empathy and be a little more accommodating to people from different backgrounds. And then there's for the people kind of within the project and for people that can really relate to people in the project, um, I think a lot of people in tech experience a sense of isolation, people who come from unique backgrounds. I, you know, I felt that when I worked in tech, like I, it's, you know, I'm a white chick. There are definitely other white chicks in tech, but I grew up in, you know, a little town in North Carolina. I didn't go to a good school. I barely graduated. I moved here with 40 bucks. I was super broke the whole time I lived here and worked in tech, like eating ramen out of the packet after I went and hung out at my friend's million dollar pool house, you know? And so the whole time I was in tech, I was like, where are the other me's, you know? And I, I think that there's a lot of other people who experience that to a way more severe degree than me. And so I think that ends up dissuading a lot of people from staying in tech and it dissuades a lot of people from entering into tech because they don't know anyone like them who's in it. So for me, it's really exciting to me that I can present this group of 100 people that either other people can meet or just relate to or just feel validated by, by seeing someone who's kind of like them, looks like them, came from where they came from, been through similar things. I'm hoping that that alleviates a bit of that sense of isolation that people feel. Totally. Was there anything that surprised you or was unexpected as you're going through these hundred interviews uh, with all these people? You don't really know a whole lot about them. Yeah. Well, I mean, everybody's story was totally unique. Yeah, it and, sounds like you were hunting for unexpected. Yeah. Um, everybody's story was totally unique. Everybody's story was mind-blowing in its own way. Um, in terms of cluing me into new issues or systemic yeah. issues that yeah. I didn't know anything about, there were definitely a couple of times where my mind was blown a little bit. Um, you know, some, some things 
were, they seem obvious when you think about it, but when you hear it, it's kind of profound. Like VCs tend to only invest in problems that they can personally relate to. And yes, that makes sense. But when you think about it, it's like, whoa, that explains a lot of why a lot of companies don't exist and a lot of companies that do exist cater to a certain type of person who's a lot like- Why just got funded? Uh, who? This is $700 juicer. It's oh, yeah. basically a Keurig of juicers. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, there's a guy in my project who, you know, he runs a startup that essentially uh, consolidates and relieves people's debt. And when he was fundraising, he's got investors being like, are, are we like building a product for bums or something? And it's like, no, people have debt. Surprise. Normal people have debt. And then, you know, you've got a company who's a great company like Ernest, who's consolidating people's student debt. And it's essentially the same idea, but then they're like a darling they're like, of the oh, industry, yeah. you know? We we all went to college. Right. And I don't know. It's just like, or, you know, uh, there's a girl, Robin Exton, in my project who founded her lesbian dating app. And you've got investors who are just like, are there are there lesbians? Are there really lesbians? What's, are is there, that a thing? Are what's, there girls? What's the market for this? Are there actually women in the world? You know, just stuff like that. It's... So, you know, it's interesting just to see how how those ideas kind of manifest in real ways. But yeah, I mean, there's there's multiple systemic things that the way that they were articulated by people just kind of through the lens of their own experience were like, whoa, that is uh, it's super profound hearing it over and over again in different ways. I guess I'm going to find this out the day this comes out. But what's the format of you the mean final? today? You've already found today. it out. I've found out, but I'm asking anyways. Uh, <laughs> I've already taken what's a nap. The, what's the format of the project? Um, so it's photos and it's going to be on the web. And I have an awesome dev and a designer who've built it with me. And it's photos and long form interviews. So that are written. I'm so, going to see a grid of, of these hundred faces and I can click through and read their yeah. So for me, there's there's no one way to experience the project. And even if you got to the site and somebody sees the word techies and they their skin crawls a little bit and they have this idea of what techie is to them, which is probably not what this grid is. And then they see this grid and it messes with their head. That's like one experience, which I'm pretty pumped about. And then as you go deeper, you know, I don't expect anyone to read all 100 interviews, but I've created this kind of filtering system where you can sort by demographic, essentially, where you can be like, I want to see all of the women or I want to see all of the women who are developers and people of color or I want to see whoever. You so can find people like you. You can find people like you and you can find people who aren't like you. And so you can basically pick your path of like, I'm curious to one, see how many of these people are in this project and two, just learn more about their life experience. So you can kind of just pick the path that you want to go down or maybe you just scroll through and you see a person who looks interesting to you or you see a person who looks just like you or I'm just, I'm wanting people to just follow their gut and just see what makes them curious and and dig in to wherever makes sense to them. Uh, a book comes to mind? A book comes to my mind too. Um, I don't know how I'm going to do it yet, but I'm going to do it. I think I'm going to keep working on this in a web form until the end of the year. Keep and, adding to it? Yeah. Um, and then ideally this launch will go really well and some really rad publisher will want to help me make a book that's really amazing. Contact your rep. 
Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, worst, I won't call it worst case scenario. Like I could always self-publish it, but for me, it would be really cool to have the resources to go and find like the Tim Cooks of the world, as well as just go and find more unfamiliar faces from different parts of the country. Totally. You know? Yeah. So everyone that you interviewed is in the Bay Area. Do I have that right? With the exception of like three. Okay. Most of my selects came from Silicon Valley because at the end of the day, like you're in this you can and have you're the deeply, yeah. you know, aware of what's up and what's happening here specifically, like in the heart of Silicon Valley. But I had a couple of people from LA um, and I had a guy from Atlanta. So, and I think I may have had a girl from Portland. Yeah. One of the, the pieces of feedback that Brynn and I get is that we don't have enough people on from outside of Silicon Valley because people from outside feel like they're outside I don't know. We get the most a recommendations looking for people in. outside of the valley, but we do all of our interviews in person. Yeah, they're totally valid. And I'm wondering pretty tough. if you had that tough. same battle as well. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it kind of pains me. Like, I had um, a certain publication ask if I would present this project at their conference in Europe that's happening in the next few months. And I was like, heck yeah, I would love to. And then they come back a couple of months later and they're like, yeah, so we uh, we can't cover any of the costs. So you're gonna get here, have to get here on your own. And I'm like, well, then I'm not coming. And for me, it's like, how can you assume that I'm rolling in dough and I'm gonna fly to your conference in Europe and put on this whole show by myself? And so, but then I have to think about that too, where it's like, these people have to get to my house and have me photograph them at my house in San Francisco. And I didn't have money when I worked in tech. And there's a lot of people who work in tech in other cities that don't have the money to get to San Francisco. So for me, it's like... It'd be the same thing. Right. So it's like, these people can't get to me because they might not have access. So maybe they don't even apply. And so how do I solve for that? Like, do I create a scholarship where I can fly people in? Like, what do I do? Do I go to them? So that's been on my mind a lot of, you know, are people not applying to this project because they know that they can't get to San Francisco? And how do I get to them? Yeah. Have you heard that feedback? Um, I've had questions. I've had people say, can I apply to this if I'm not in San Francisco? And my answer has been, if you can get to San Francisco, you can be in my project. So you can assume for every person that messaged you that there's probably another hundred that didn't. Absolutely. And, yeah. Felt the constraint. Yeah. And again, I placed that constraint for a reason for the first part. But now that I'd have more time and ideally more resources, um, I can try to find solutions to that. So how are you going to balance this now going forward? Let's move maybe a little more towards what you're working on. So you're also a freelance photographer full time. Yep. Uh, How are you going to balance these two going forward now that this thing's launched? Um, It's definitely going to be my main hobby. It's, I think it's just going to be how I spend my free time. Like I am a person that does not know what to do with free time. And when I have free time, I panic. So this is great because now I'll have something to do in my free time. Um, Like just something else to work on that feeds my soul. So I think that'll be pretty rad. I'm not going to do a hundred people every three months because I'll die. (laughs) Um, Have you thought about taking on sponsors or anything like that? I do have sponsors. Nice. Yes. Um, I don't want to make money from this project. My sponsors are Facebook, Medium, and Ueno. I looked for three sponsors. Ueno's um, so great. I know. Oh, what a great sponsor to Hallie, have. Hallie, oh, I love him. Hallie is the best. 
He's a great dude. Um, we actually, I met him when he was still a freelancer and we happened to work on a project. Like I was taking pictures and he was designing and we met on Google Hangout when he was traveling the world. Oh, crazy. The team they're building is just incredible too. I know. I know. Blown away. He's like hiring the unhirable. Yeah, I can't believe yeah, it. What the what? fuck? <laughs> How does he do it? He's magical. Yeah, Linda Eliason and Dan Petty and Carolyn Jang. What? Yeah, yeah. Every time we've brought Dan up on the show, it's like, oh yeah, he's a a born freelancer. Yeah. Well, he was the apparently he was the not. one that apparently not. that would never go full time, and here he's he is. Everyone's one that got away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how about you? So let's go back a little bit. Uh, you came here with. Forty dollars. I did seven. That's years a very specific ago. number. You have. I remember it so clearly. Please for seven us, years ago. <laughs> tell yeah. the story. Uh, I just remember looking at my bank account and I had forty dollars. I was always broke. Like in college, I was like a cocktail waitress, and I served martinis to you know adults having life crises and <laughs> learned a lot about adult society. But was this in North Carolina? Yeah, yeah. The bar. All of the bars that I worked for are dead now. I don't know if that's a, if I did that or what. Um, <laughs> single hand. Clearly your fault. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, and unfortunately you don't, at least I didn't make a ton of money when I was doing that. So I was broke all the time. And then I r- kind of randomly decided to move to San Francisco right when I graduated college. And I- Did you have a plan when you moved here? No. Why San Francisco? Uh, I came here on vacation. Nice. And I found Tartine. And I was, and up until this point, <laughs> this is the best reason I've ever heard. Well, this, it sounds this so actually kind of pretentious, but it's not. Uh, <laughs> I promise. I found Tartine, and up until that point, I literally thought that bakeries only existed in movies. I had never seen a bakery in my life, <laughs> and I was like, "Holy shit, bakeries are real!" And I'm sitting here eating a morning bun, and I had just driven up and down Highway One. <laughs> this is my like, favorite thing. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, "Now that I know the bakeries are real, and now that I know <laughs> what that... else is real, that I need to go where the yeah. bakeries are." <laughs> I know. And and I just driven up and down the highway, yeah. you know, that's so majestic. And The one is amazing, the, the Pacific yeah. Coast Highway. Yes. Uh, and so I was like, now that I know this exists, I can't not live here. Like, I just can't go back. I can't go back to a world without bakeries. And then I moved like two months later. I love things where you just can't not do it. Yeah. That's, that's it my was... favorite way to explain things. Like, I couldn't not. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a no-brainer. And I, you know, I had known since like 15 years old that I was, I needed to go, I needed to go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but I just wasn't sure where. And then, and then it ended up being San Francisco. And I knew of tech, you know, I kind of, I, I didn't go to class a lot. So I spent a lot of time just sitting on my laptop reading about stuff that I could work on in the future. Like I got a degree in PR, but I felt like the program was awful. So I just would go to coffee shops and read about PR on the internet and feel productive. So I learned about tech like and startups through just researching like comms and journalism and stuff like that. Crazy. Um, so I was like, this sounds cool. And I loved, you know, interneting. Like I loved MySpace. I loved Twitter. Interneting. Um, yes. And so I was like, I want to go to this place with all these startups. And so I moved, you know, I got here. I sold my car, put that money down on, a, you know, my apartment with a bunch of Craigslist roommates. And I Googled uh, coffee shops where techies hang out. And at the <laughs> Did time, you go to the creamery? 
No, you're the second person asked that. Sight glass. Um, no, that was that wasn't before there. sight glass. Oh. This was 2009. Oh, sorry, guys. Sorry, I don't know the history. Brian, you're 23. You were 14 at the I don't time. know the oral history of sight glass. Right. No. 16. It's fine. <laughs> this was 2009. Okay. And at the time, it was Epicenter. And so I just started oh, hanging Epicenter. out at Epicenter. It's right by the Whole Foods. Yep. Epicenter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that place yeah. is great. And just like met everyone I could, like hung, hung going out up with to the strangers. baristas. <laughs> hey, well, you know, when are you, you a like, techie? When you, no, you like go every day, you start seeing the same faces, you know, yeah. and mm-hmm. eventually you're like, oh, hey. And then you just collide with people. And, and eventually someone that I met um, there introduced me to his friend who ran a PR firm. And that was my first job in tech. And then I ended up going to a startup from there and then another startup from there. And then all I, PR. Yeah, pretty much. I did PR, like proper PR at the firm. And then when I went internal at startups, it was basically like everything that wasn't product, even though I did content strategy. So that was kind of producty, but the rest was just like, can you get us a shit ton of press and a shit ton of users? That was like the basic objective of Growth my job. Growth hacker holding a price. That's a worse term. I know. <laughs> Do not I, put that. I hate it too. I just had to. <laughs> um, so yeah, you know, I did everything from content strategy, partnerships, PR, <laughs> creative like random ass creative campaigns fortunately i had some kind of creative freedom in my jobs um but yeah eventually i just wasn't i realized i wasn't happy so how would you have described yourself at this point what like what did you do what do you mean like would you say you were a designer were you a pr person like where my technical my role was head of communications and business development nice that was my my job title that's the most communications title i've ever heard yeah very much it even contains the word and then you realized you didn't like tech i love no i like tech a lot i still love tech i still feel very strongly my feelings about tech are strong i would hope so you're doing a project on it yeah yeah i mean my you know as i said earlier like it's complicated like i left tech because i didn't like my experience and i wasn't taking pictures um but so pictures was a long-term thing yeah I've been shooting since I was six, but I never, ever thought I could do it for a living. Mm-hmm. Like, I lived in a tiny little town. I don't know if I heard the word what, creative. What does tiny mean? Tiny. I lived, maybe at the time it had, it wasn't the tiniest. It had like 20,000 people. Okay. And I lived on the the redneck side of town called James City. And <laughs> like. I like the accent. Pronounced with the accent. Yeah. James. Um and, you know, definitely like the cliches of like shooting BB guns in your yard. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm from a town of 800 called Jamestown. Oh, my so we're Jesus. Like, we're like cousins. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know if the word creative was introduced as a concept until t- maybe teenage years or college. I didn't know tech existed until I was like 20. Um, and I did not know that photography was art or a potential career. Like I was introduced to photography with Walmart disposable cameras and I just love taking pictures of stuff. And that's all I knew. And I took pictures of everything from like six until I worked in tech and then stopped. And now I do it again. What happened? How did it? Um, well, once I got a job in tech, it was like survival mode, you know, it was like, oh my God, I found a job. I'm making like $40,000 a year. Like I have to work my butt off to, you know, not only like keep this job, but like get a better one, you know, cause it's even living on 40 K a year in 2010 was, yeah, was really let's, let's hard about living on 40 K yeah, in San Francisco. It's hard. It, I don't think you could do it now. I, I mean, some people do it. do it. I moved here at 
twice that. And yeah. it was borderline impossible. Yeah, it was it was tough. Um, and especially tough because you're supposed to like you're supposed to be able to hang. You know, my right? whole job was like building partnerships, building rapport, getting people into my into what I was working on. And so how do you do that if you can't hang? When everybody else totally. has money, you know, it was, it was tough. It was a lot of like showing up to group dinners and then like not ordering anything and like leaving early because you can't afford to pay for the bill or just like pray that someone else is going to get the bill or else you're going to overdraft or. Um, the city is crazy. It was tough. It was tough. I, I don't know. I mean, Why? I don't know if I could do it. I, I don't think I would have survived if I was going through this in 2016 San Francisco. Oh, totally. What was... What That'd was be go- impossible. <laughs> what was going through your head at the time, though? Why was... Like, there was, must have been something that said this is worth it. This is worth the pain, right? Well, I didn't know that there was anything else as an option. You know what I mean? It was like, okay, I found my career. Like, oh my God, I have a job in tech. Like, anything can happen here. Like, you, anybody can be anything here. So I'm going to work... It's like a work. series of bets, right? Like, Yeah. It's just like, well, I'm going to work my ass off and I'm going to make this work. You know, like I'm going to work super, super hard at this job, but I'm also going to work super, super hard after work to get the next job better. Totally. And then do that job really well, but also spend all of your nights and weekends doing work towards whatever that next job is going to be. And so my whole life was my career. Like everything was my career the time I worked in tech. And so there's no time for photos, you know. When did that change? Um, In 2013, I realized that I was working yet another job that didn't make me happy. And so I set a New Year's resolution to do a thing that makes me happy on the weekends. That thing was taking photos. And the idea was I would shoot so much on the weekends that I would have photos to edit every night after work. So I could have a really shitty day at work and then get home and edit photos and then the day would be good. And then I barfed out thousands and thousands of photos like immediately. And then by April, I quit my job and became a photographer. When did you first get paid for taking a photo? Um, That's a very important detail because I did not believe even like two weeks before I quit my job to be a photographer that I could be a photographer for a living. So can, <laughs> can I briefly pull back like half a step? Yes. Yeah. You started uh, New Year's resolution. Yeah. And by April. Yes. So you did four months of every night editing photos. Yes. Probably for hours and hours at a time. Yeah. This is something I come across a lot where it's like people are like, I work really hard at my day job. I want to move to San Francisco. I'm like, yeah, you got to spend all your time. Like my little brother is a good example of this. Good kid. Super smart. He's unreasonably smart. He's like, nah, I want to hang out with friends. I'm like, that's not going to, that's not going to fly here. You can't do that. And it's a, it's a weird problem to have. You have to just have this obsessive personality. I was just talking to someone about this last night of like the secret sauce to being successful. It's not that mysterious. It's like working your ass off. Yeah. It's just working your ass off. You have to become obsessed with it, whatever it is. You just work all the like I I met one of my neighbors in the elevator the other day for the first time, this like random guy. And he was like, so what do you, where do you go out around here? And I was like, I just work. And he's like, you don't go out? And I was like, no. And no, he just kind of no, looked at me in silence. And I was like, okay, nice to meet you. I know I'm not cool right now. I'm sorry, but I literally just work. That's how it is to like do things here or like function in the San Francisco environment. Like well, I- especially now it's like, I, I mean, 
maybe it it's probably not this case for everyone, but like I just can't even imagine not constantly working with a constant sense of desperation. Exactly. To totally. Like, And I, I think that stems from my years of actually feeling that true desperation <laughs> the, of like, yeah. if I don't. Con- if I don't work my ass off every single second, then I'm not going to ever make more than $40,000 a year or I'm going to lose this job. Absolutely. And I'm never, I'm going to have to go home to North Carolina or something. Um, and and that, I, that's I the still worst have outcome it. is losing San Francisco. Yeah. It just, it wasn't an option. It just wasn't an option. Totally. Um, and so, yeah, for me, it's that sense of desperation just like will not subside. And it, I feel like that's probably a blessing because it keeps me working really hard. Uh, I'm not saying that's it, how it should be with yeah, everyone. Is is it a good thing? Oh, I don't know. I'm, it's probably but also, highly unhealthy. But also, I don't think it's something like I don't think it's a thing that you necessarily choose to have. Like, I don't think you can just choose to feel desperation. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't recommend it because I wouldn't even know <laughs> but, how to. But it doesn't matter because I wouldn't know how to teach it. Yeah, you know, desperation semicolon not ideal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think at the core of it, like whatever personality traits that you have, positive positive or negative like if you can channel that in a good productive way then awesome if that's a sense of desperation and a fear of being homeless if you can channel that into working your butt off awesome if you want to like totally piss off your ex-boyfriends and can channel that into working your butt off great like whatever your motivations are whether they're negative or positive like if you can channel that towards growth awesome totally mine was proving my parents wrong yeah it's gonna be a failure after i dropped out of college yeah yeah, it's, I mean, it's weird. It, th- these things that fuel you, yeah, in just the most probably self harmful ways. I, but this what's isn't super self harmful? What's striking me about you is you did it for so long, doing something that it doesn't sound like you totally enjoyed, or do, did I miss that? That you actually maybe enjoyed some of the communications PR. Um, I enjoyed parts of it. I mean, I, I remember my requirements for my work were I wanted to work with people that were smart and nice. I wanted like I wanted to enjoy who I was working with. I wanted to be in an environment where I was constantly challenged and forced to learn new things. Cause definitely like learning stuff period is very I enjoy that a lot, whatever it is. And I wanted to feel like my work was meaningful. So definitely those jobs had the the ability to check all those boxes in different ways. But it just wasn't right. I don't know. Yeah, it makes sense. I guess what I was trying to get at is um, I agree with the work your ass off mentality to the point where you're not hating every second of it because I don't think that's good. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, as long as we're on the same page about that. I didn't hate it because I worked my ass off. I hated it because I felt like my work wasn't valued and I wasn't valued, you know? Um, but like I work my ass off now and I love every moment of it. See, that's it. Yeah. That's it. Is it a matter of like you're the person who has to recognize it? Um, I guess I don't the know. clients. Uh, for me, external or internal. I I feel like I do okay when I've got unlimited runway and I can just be my own boss and just go get shit done. Um, I feel like historically, when I've been managed and projects are killed or people don't trust me or whatever. Like if I'm just not able to do the work that I want to do, uh, I get sad. And so I'm probably not meant to work for people. <laughs> Ever again. <laughs> so what happened? How did you 
learn you could actually make money doing something that you loved? Yeah. So um, this girl who I didn't know at the time, but is now a, a good friend of mine, she emailed me out of the blue and I had built my website. You know, I'd put my photos up that I'd taken over the last few months and she emailed and was like, hey, I run, you know, all things creative photography at Square and I found your work and I would like to see if you wanted to shoot vendors in New York City for the Square Marketplace. And it was a little job, but it was enough to pay my rent. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> Mind if blown. I, and at the time, it, I truly, it just hadn't crossed my mind that anyone, that I was of a caliber to get paid to take photos. Like truly did not even cross my mind that someone would pay me to take photos or that I was good enough for that. And I was like, holy shit, someone's willing to pay me to take photos. I'm going to, I'm. this will pay my rent and I have a whole month to find another person who will pay me to take photos. I'm going to quit my job. And then I quit my job. A whole month. <laughs> a whole 30 days. That's uh, plenty of time. <laughs> that is the most terrifying number to me. 30 days to find, to find a solution to pay San Francisco rent sounds really hard. Well, I was living in New York at that moment. But then I also decided to better. move back to San Francisco. So like it in the span. And again, this is another one of those like very similar to like moving to California with $40. Like I had no savings account at all. I was super broke still and was like, I'm going to quit tech and I'm going to try and take photos for a living because that girl just paid me to take photos. So I bet I can get someone else to pay me to take photos and I'm going to make it work because if I don't, I can't pay rent. How did you grow up from there? How did you? How did I grow get, up? <laughs> no, 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 not grow up, grow it, uh, your business, oh, being able to do that. Yeah, so I didn't have the best plan other than- <laughs> How did you grow up? <laughs> like, wow, that's kind of an offensive question. Then, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Betty. Um, <laughs> they don't call him Brian Lovin for a reason. Yeah. They don't? No, they don't. Oh. Because you're hating. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Uh-huh. Um, I had a hunch that- San Francisco tech maybe had a market for photography that no one was looking at, mostly because I still was keeping tabs on tech in Silicon Valley. And there were certain companies that were leading the way. You had like Airbnb. You had these companies that were starting to embrace branding uh, for the first time because like 2009, 2010, people didn't give a shit about branding. It was all like like design even was like, well, I don't know, we don't know if we need totally. that, you know? 2008 was like the first year I feel like of like modern design. <laughs> yeah, and the so the app store opened. <laughs> yeah, right. Like that. That was a yeah. huge moment for our industry. Yeah, absolutely. And so I was like, you know, I think there's probably people who are admiring that. Also, I think Instagram helped in a way because totally. I think it made people value imagery and storytelling uh, in a in a completely new way, where people could be like, photos. Don't you just press a button those are you know whatever but then all of a sudden people are like whoa photos are amazing and like i'm super affected by them and i'm obsessed with them like everybody was feeling obsessed with photos because of instagram and so i think that created some sense of value just from maybe a design side of like photos are great and photos are good for my product so i just kind of had a hunch that people valued photos in tech potentially but no photographers gave a shit about tech but I gave a shit about tech. So I was like, I'm going to move back to San Francisco and I'm going to go and try and build my business there versus trying to just be in the sea of aspiring photographers in New York where I don't really know anybody. So I moved back and then 
um, worked a little bit more for Square. And then kind of my second job came from an intro where Enrique from Designer Fund was like, I am looking for a photographer who has a knack for storytelling. And he was saying this to um, my friend, Laura Bruno Minor, And she was like, I... Both of those people are awesome. Yes. <laughs> I love this. Yes. And Laura like was like, story. I know a girl who is really into storytelling and takes photos and is just getting a start as a photographer and you should hire her. And so me and Laura collaborated on this project where we did Day in the Life's at RDO and Dropbox and Path for Designer Fund, where we like told the story of what it was like to work at these companies through the eyes of a designer. And to us, we were like, duh, like, of course we're going to do this. But to the rest of tech, it was kind of this new thing. And yeah. it kind of blew people's mind. I remember reading and, those. Yeah. And those just like spread all over the place. And then I was pretty much booked solid. Like people just all of a sudden were like, whoa, this girl who shoots these like these tech things, let's Let's reach out to her. I had no idea that was you and Laura. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That was like my first job. Those were huge for me. Yeah. That's crazy. That's awesome. So it's that was pretty small, much my it's first a small gig. world out here. Yeah. Oh my God. And crazy. then from that point, it was just it was just me having a ton of inbounds and me just trying to learn as I went. Like, okay, people want to work with me. I need to figure out what I'm doing. Like, I need to figure out how to write an estimate. I need to figure out how to invoice. I need to figure out how to how to do a job. No one knows how to photos. do those things. Like, um, all of that stuff I just had to learn on the fly. Did you have an... Did you feel like you had a comfortable answer or was it always trying to look for an improved system? Oh, always improving. I mean, I was always testing That's new thing, stuff. It feels like there's no new, no real answer. No. But that's crazy. I feel like there's comfort in that, honestly. You know, Shifting? it's like, well, there's comfort in knowing that there's no one way of doing something. So, like, you're not really doing it wrong, you know? <laughs> not, not doing it wrong. I like that. Because yeah. there's no way to do it right. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, the best thing that you can do is just research and ask around and, and realize that no two people do it the same way and just kind of pick your favorite things about different strategies and make something that works for you and test it and see if it works. So speaking of no wrong way, can we talk about workflow at all? <laughs> sure. What part? What What does it look like for you? Are you shooting in a prepared studio a lot of time? Are you shooting kind of on the fly? Does it depend on the client? Oh, yeah. Everything's different. I mean, I've got this project where mm -hmm. I'm, I've am i set up a studio with strobes in my house, and I let 100 strangers in, and I take their, I take their portrait. Um, I shoot some photos. I spent my first two years shooting natural light because... Mm -hmm. It's free. Um, and <laughs> really good start. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I love light and I'm really particular about it and I know how to find it. Um, but then now I my next phase of photography is like how do I recreate that light with fake light? In Crazy. my house. In my house. Um, okay. Or on set, you know. So now I do anything from like a executive portraits where I just go to their office, set up a seamless, set up a couple of lights, do do those or it's like a big commercial shoot where i have a big crew and stylists and talent and motorhomes and uh and you know that is another thing where you just kind of get your first opportunity where someone's like we have a seventy-five thousand dollar budget and it's like okay huh. <laughs> i'll do something with that and then you just figure out how to do something with that and you get a you get a producer and you make a big shoot happen and now I'm super used to that kind of scenario. I'm, I'm getting way more comfortable with those kind of big sets and big crews. But it's just changed so much. And it's still like every shoot's totally different. Is it all the Mark III? Mm-hmm. Do you have particularly favorite lenses? 
I only shot with a 35 millimeter lens. What? Forever. Like, if you go to my website, probably 99% of the photos are shot on a 35. Amazing. This project. Like a 35 prime? uh Uh-huh. Wow. And I think it's the best lens ever. To me, it's like people, I mean, I'll even have people like gearheads in tech that I photograph be like, you shouldn't be shooting portraits on a 35. And I'm like, okay. You clearly want a 55 prime. Nice to meet you. Tell me how to do 7200. (laughs) Tell me how to do my job a little more. It's just funny. Um, But like for this project, I used a 50, um, the project I just did, um, just because there was no point in using a 35 on that seamless. Um, But I I 99% of the time use a 35. Amazing. Like today, I did a shoot all day and used 35 all day. So do you do anything more extensive than, say, Lightroom? I don't use Lightroom. Okay. Lightroom scares me. I use Capture One um, because I I tether. So okay. basically, Capture One allows me to tether my camera to the computer so that the client or myself can see the photos in, in real time. Okay. And so if they have like a custom crop or uh, even like mock-ups, I can pull the mock-ups into Capture One and I can skin it over the photos as they come in. Nice. And so I can sit with the client as I'm shooting. Like today we did all of our selects in real time because they can sit next to my computer while I'm shooting and I can get them to go through and like star all the ones that they like. So it's, yeah, it's very good for a workflow. And the I didn't know this, but the integrity of the raw photos are so much better in Capture One to the degree that sometimes I try to go and pull them into camera raw. Camera raw. <laughs> I'm going to say that again because that camera sounds funny. <laughs> camera raw. <laughs> I try to pull them into camera raw into Photoshop <laughs> and they look so bad where I'm like, okay, I have to use, uh, I have to use Capture One. And that, uh, you know, that prevents me from doing certain things. Like sometimes I'm like, I wish I could use a Visco filter and like play with the colors of my photos, but you can't use those in Capture One. But Capture One looks so amazing that it doesn't matter. It's like just so much better. I can't even imagine. But then I pull stuff into Photoshop. So I do all of my colors, all of my like nitty gritty batch editing in Capture One. And then I pulled them into, I export them as TIFFs into Photoshop. And then I Photoshop the TIFFs and then I save them as JPEGs. Crazy. How much time do you spend in post? I'm really fast. Do you have a percentage of time? I mean, it's probably like half and half. Okay. Or maybe more time in, yeah, probably more time in post than I spend shooting. But I, there are certain flows that I have that are really like when I'm doing exec portraits, for instance, and I have eight portraits that I shot that day, I pull all eight into Photoshop and I have like my, I do like my dodging first. And I do it across all of them. And then I go and I whiten the eyeballs for all of them. And then I, you know, remove the unibrows from all of them. And then I, like, (laughs) I clone the skin for all of them. And I just, like, do it across all of them and then save them all at the same time. And there's just all these little hacks that I've done to where I've been able to cut down editing a portrait from, like, 45 minutes to, like, four minutes. Yeah. Um, But that's just, like, practice, you know. What's been the latest step up for you as a photographer? Um, I mean, the biggest change is getting repped, which is not a thing that you can seek. It is not really a goal that you can have as a photographer. Like the general consensus across photographers, at least what I was told was that you don't get repped. Like you can't go seek out a rep. Reps aren't looking for photographers. Like you are not going to get repped. So don't even don't even consider that concept as something that's in your future. Even though I know photographers who are repped, but in my mind, they were like eons beyond what I could be as a photographer at this point in my life. 
So I was not looking for a rep, even though I've done casual research of reps and of photo agencies and been like, oh, that one would be cool or that one would be cool. So around the time that the repping happened, uh, I was actually feeling kind of kind of weird about my career where things were going great. I was making more money than I've ever made in my life. I was busy. I was doing all kinds of jobs, but things were starting to feel easy and things were starting to feel repetitive, which maybe to some people would mean like, cool, stability, like, cool, I'm mastering my craft. But for me, that's like panic mode of like, I'm not progressing and I might be peaking and I feel that there's a plateau coming. And normally I'm used to this pace of like drowning and constantly taking on things that I don't know how to do and learning as I go. And then finally getting to a point where I kind of felt like I know what I was doing. The adrenaline starts to wear off a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, it was just like, this is weird and I don't like it. Um, And this probably means that I'm not progressing and that my whole career is going to fall apart. That's where my brain goes. And then I'm going to be homeless tomorrow. Yeah, it's basically like I'm peaking and my career is going to end, even though everything is actually going I only have 30 days to make rent. That wasn't a big deal before. (laughs) But that to me is exciting because it's like, oh, that's a challenge. I'm going to go make that rent. But for this, it was like, okay, what do I do next? Like, what's the next challenge? And it really wasn't clear to me what that was going to be. And so I remember being on the phone with my mom being like, everything's good, but I'm freaked out and I'm scared and I don't know what the next move is. And I really feel like something has to change really soon. Like I need to figure out what that next thing is going to be or else I feel like I'm getting stuck. And that night I got a cold inbound email from this chick whose agency I loved, but never in my wildest dreams thought she would reach out to me. And it's also, it's, it's rare to get repped. It's also pretty impossible to get repped in like the first two years of being a photographer. That's absurd. So it's not something that I ever would have expected to happen. I think in my lifetime, I would definitely set that as a goal of like, yeah, fuck yeah, I'll get good enough so that I can get repped. But I thought it would take a long time. So this girl, Dara from My Heart Reps, emailed me and was like, hey, like I've, I found your work and I think it's really interesting. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to do a phone call and maybe, you know, see if you'd be interested in, in working together. And, you know, in my mind, I was like, I'm going to, you know, faint and pee my pants. But <laughs> I was like, sure. At the same time? Yeah, I was like. <laughs> Simultaneously. <laughs> like, yes, I, I would like to talk. And, you know, we did our first, I think it was like a Skype call, video call or something. And we were both just like we like each other. Like, this is awesome. Uh, She's just like this alpha lady boss from LA um, who was super cool and has an amazing roster of photographers, all of whom I admire. I admire so much who are doing huge jobs. So long story short, we had our little, uh, you know, like rep dating period of a few months and to figure out if we liked each other and how we worked together. And, and then we decided to, to sign on. And so that's been such an interesting and like fulfilling and sometimes painful learning curve, which has been, you know, for me really awesome. Because again, if I'm not finding some hill to climb or something to drown in i'm i'm panicking so for me it's something to drown in yeah (laughs) that is the best way to explain it i've ever heard yeah um so you know so for me i spent the first two years of being a photographer just doing my own thing like totally winging it 
teaching myself how to do everything. I didn't know how to work with a crew. I used natural light. Like I was just being scrappy. I was doing what I do within, you know, the way that I knew how to do it. You did the hustle. Yeah. But like in a, in, I didn't know what I was doing, you know, but I was doing it however I knew to do it. And so it's been really interesting to see how the industry does it. You know, I've got my rep who comes from traditional advertising, like big ad work, like huge, huge jobs in advertising and editorial. And so she's coming to me with like, this is how big advertising does it. And this is how big editorial does it. And then I, on the flip side, have my own thing going in Silicon Valley, which is like the Wild West. And so I'm also educating her on like, this is how Silicon Valley does it. And so it's this really interesting symbiosis of like me having to educate her on how things work in Silicon Valley, where she's like, I don't understand why people don't know what a digitech is. And I'm like, yeah, you have to educate them on what a digitech is because it's not LA. And then she's educating me on what, you know, huge advertising budgets are and just how to hang when you're going and doing meetings at advertising agencies. So it's this really interesting um, relationship that we have and we're teaching each other things. And um, I'm learning how to work with bigger budgets. I'm working how, or I'm learning how to work with crews. Um, It's just been really good to just be like thrown a huge new pile of information that I have to sort through and and learn how to work with. How long ago did you get a rep? Um, She emailed me in May and we signed in September of last year. Last year, 2015. So I have two questions. Yeah. Has one, has that made it harder to get some clients that were traditionally like your bread and butter? Yeah. So the transition is kind of hard because when someone comes to my website and they see that I have a rep that is very scary to people. And, you know, I have I have people email me and be like, yeah, we really wanted to work with you on this, but we figured that you're like, that you don't do this kind of work anymore. And I'm like, no, I totally still do that work. I work with anyone. Like maybe it would be out of the price range, but why didn't you ask? You know, we can always like come down on stuff or like, for me, it's, it's like, no, I still do this for a living. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I'm not like only shooting whatever I don't know it's like I still work with everybody and yeah it's so I've been I don't know if I've lost them but I definitely have seen all of these tiny little jobs that I used to do just totally disappear and I think that comes from just seeing or everybody hates me I don't know but I think (laughs) (laughs) something changed part of it comes from uh you know people telling me that they they just assume that I don't do that kind of work anymore and the reality is like my rep doesn't want me to do that kind of work anymore for her she's like no we're transitioning you into this new world like you're not going to do those little jobs anymore and I'm like well that's how I made my money so that's been you know it's been an interesting financial transition like all of it it's been it's been like tough Tough changes, but good changes. Just like the transition's weird, you know? Totally. Yeah. Two. Yep. What's a Digitech? (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) The last Digitech I used was a guitar pedal. Oh, yeah. That is the only Digitech I know. Okay, so a Digitech is a person who is on set at a photo shoot. What I was describing earlier of tethering to a computer and being able to go through stuff in real time 
if I'm being really scrappy, I'm being my own digitech. But ideally, on a big shoot, you have a designated person who has this really amazing setup. They've got their sweet laptop. They've got this big hood that goes over it so you can see it in the outside with the sun and all of that. And they have your mock-ups planted in a Capture One. They've got your crops. And as I'm shooting, I can be like, yo, is this crispy? And he's like, yeah, it's crispy. <laughs> That's so crispy. Yes. Um, so there's kind of this relationship where I'm shooting and he's making sure that my photos are technically sound because there's nothing worse than shooting a bunch of photos and, and feeling crispy. like they're awesome. And then you go and you zoom in on the eyeballs and they're not crispy. That's the worst. Uh, the it's worst. the worst. Yo, that crispy? <laughs> <laughs> These eyeballs crispy up and down. <laughs> that's literally I, what I I asked. don't know what you just said. Um, <laughs> that's okay. Um, yeah. So a digi- and you know. A lot of startups don't know why they would need a Digitech. And then they get a Digitech and they're like, this is, yeah, I get it. But it takes that education of like, this is what this person would do. I could technically do that, but I'm not supposed to do that. And yeah, it's $1,000, but it would really make a difference. And you can approve your images in real time so that you don't get screwed after the shoot when you don't get what you want. So not a guitar pedal. No. (laughs) Perfect. It's a human. I have a hypothetical question, which is kind of pointless because we're already over the hump. It's fine. The hump being that you have a rep now. If you put yourself back in your shoes uh, about this time last year, you feel like you're at the peak of your career. Things are too easy. Things are getting repetitive. Was that a thing you felt before having a rep? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was I was kind of freaking out. See, I thought you were saying that was now. No. No, okay. now I'm like, I don't know shit about shit. Now I feel <laughs> okay. great. I feel my best. I'm when dumb. I, I, I feel awesome. <laughs> I know nothing. Yeah. I truly feel best when it is very obvious that there are things in front of me that I can learn. There's targets. So so let's go back. Before, uh, the rep was inbound to you in a fortuitous encounter and, and it, you hit it off and now you're here. Yeah. Uh, put yourself back in your shoes. What do you think you would have done if if that had never happened and you had to come up with your own way to get out of a creative rhythm, I guess, like almost too rhythmic, right? I probably would have ended up doing this personal project. Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, this stems from the same thing of like, you know, I wanted to do work that was challenging to me and like fed my soul. I wanted to do work that was different because even now, even now that I'm wrapped, I'm still just doing a bunch of commercial shoots and they're feeling easier and easier every time. And so for me... It's like, you know, but then the second I started this personal project, I didn't give a shit about any of that because am I cussing a lot? Um, Maybe. Yes, please. (laughs) Um, Because for me, all of a sudden, I wasn't depending on work to fully entirely satisfy me creatively, which I think is like such a huge thing. I mean, I touched on that at my creative mornings talk a million years ago of like. That was my first ever talk. That's so good. Uh, The first one I ever went to. I watched That's a lot so of them cool. online. That was my first one. Why didn't you say hey? Uh, I don't remember if I did, yeah, actually. I may have during breakfast. I don't remember. Sorry. I, 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 <laughs> I Why didn't you say hey? Oh, we actually had a 30-minute conversation. <laughs> I was terrified while I was there, so oh, there's man. a likelihood that I was not. Me too. That was like two months into my first job here in San Francisco. Like I was like, why am I here still? Like I don't get it. Mm, but I've watched chills. a lot of creative morning videos. Yeah. It was scary. I love things that scare you. That's awesome. Yeah. But so for me, I'm a huge advocate of like, you cannot depend on your paid work 
to satisfy all things. Hell yeah. You know what I mean? Like you have to have that divide. Even me, who technically does what she loves for a living, you cannot expect your paid work to fully satisfy you. Like that is expecting way too much. Uh, to depend on someone to pay you to do the work that fully creatively satisfies you. So for me, starting this personal project immediately put that to ease of like, okay, I'm challenged again. I'm doing work that feeds my soul. Like, yeah, I'm losing a bunch of money and I'm taking two months off work and that's terrifying. But I have a rep that runs my business, so I have time. And like, I finally have a savings account, so I'm not going to die. We got to pay the Helena price. (laughs) I've never heard that. That's good. Trademark. That's good. That was terrible. I've never heard that. <laughs> uh, we're over time. And that's it. <laughs> Thank Let's, you. That's a wrap. Is that what they say? Yeah. Uh, we are over time. Cool. Is there anything you want to plug before you go? Keeping in mind that today is Monday, Monday. April 4th. Um, if you want to go see the project I just launched, it's www.techiesproject.com. Um at its techies project everywhere on the internet um and if you want to see my work other than techies project it's at helenaprice.com dope i've gone to that website so many times i love it that's crazy thank you so much for coming on the show helena thank you it's good to be here that was 118 fun fact when we were recording this we almost lost the whole recording about an hour in so we lost the entire episode almost thanks for listening we hope you enjoyed it be sure to check out techies project uh by helena price we are it's so- a super important thing yep. it's an awesome project i'm so glad someone did it and helena was one of the best people that could have possibly done it if you need more info we have tons of links in the show notes go check it out follow helena and let us know what you thought we're on twitter at design details fm join our slack team at spec.fm slash slack and of course be sure to check out our two sponsors that made this episode possible. First up, Dropbox. They're, they're just trying to simplify everything about the way you work so you can work with anyone, anywhere, anytime, any device, any file, any product, any project, any what program, any... It does everything. Dimension? And it does it really can we well. Just, can we just say they work in any dimension? Yes. One, two, or three. Or four. Time. Perfect. Done. To learn more, go to dropbox.com. Thank you once again to Dropbox and our second sponsor, of course, Etsy. They're hiring product designers. They want you to join them in New York at their amazing office, working with some of the smartest, talented, most talented, nicest people we've ever met. And you super should. They're amazing. It's just the best group of people. At least learn more. To do that, go to etsy.com slash careers. Check out what they're doing with product design. You can have a huge impact on an amazing product. And of course, tell them that we sent you. Thank you once again to Etsy. And we'll see you on Wednesday with Yaron Schoen. My name's Helena. Photographer. I'm based in San Francisco. That's about it. Okay. I can try that again if you need me to. Uh, How do I make that different? That's everything about you. Oh, I can. I can say more about myself. Okay. (laughs) Let's try it again. Okay. Ready. Set. Okay. My name's Helena. Ready. Set. Can we keep all these? (laughs) Yeah, we're gonna keep all these. Take two. Okay.